guys and welcome to another episode of the Profit Profile Podcast from your host Chris Foster, the Profile Guy. Now I am super excited to share with you an interview with none other than Charlie Gray. He is the former international creative director for Menspire. And guys, if you haven't heard of Menspire and you are in the male grooming industry, I do not know where you've been for the last mm, five to six years. These guys have been flying the flag of British quality male grooming around the world. And now Charlie has taken a completely new route. You're going to hear his story, why he left Menspire and what he's doing now. So guys, look forward to an amazing interview and I hope you guys enjoy this. And of course, if you get a chance, please um, subscribe and also rate us because really if if more people get a rating from this podcast and it get ranked a little bit higher so really appreciate all of you guys listening to this because the content that I like to share with you hair professionals is content that would hopefully change your game inspire you to think bigger and better about this industry Charlie, how are you doing? So Hi, glad Chris. To... Oh, man, it's so good to hear that you're here on the Proper <laughs> Profile podcast. Dude, it's good to have you on, man. Thanks for having me, Chris, honestly. Brilliant. So, Charlie, um, I just wanted to just get a quick rundown on your career, your profile, because yep. the Profit Profile podcast is really to highlight key influences in industry and really want to find out a bit about your journey so literally it's going to go over to you let me find a bit about your journey how you got into the area of hairdressing men's hairdressing the whole vibe just go for it man yeah okay um so about 10 years ago i decided to get into the hairdressing industry i didn't previously have any friends or any family that were in the industry at all so it was quite a new experience and a new venture for me, to, you know, to, um, to be honest with you. And um, I didn't really know what I was getting into. And I'd always had that creative mind and wanted to create things with my hands in terms of being into fashion and generally liking styling my hair and all sorts of different things whilst I was going through school. But I never really considered hairdressing to be any type of career, to be honest with you, because, again, I didn't really know anyone in the industry. I was playing a lot of football at the time before at college and you know I was into my sports and and things like that and I thought that was kind of where I was going to take my life I suppose kind of sports and fitness but then a few people said to me uh, one of my family as well was like you should actually try hairdressing just completely out of the blue and I kind of turned my nose up at the start and for some reason I thought it got to the summer of when I turned 19 and I thought do you know what? Something made me go in that direction. And I just thought, what have I got to lose? Let's, let's look down that route. And um, yeah, I applied at a few salons locally and one or two in, in London. And uh, it was actually funny because the ones that were more small, you know, they were just like a, a, a one salon brand and they were just quite a small company. I went for an interview with one or two of them and they actually turned me down in the end. Wow. They said um, they said that my I was too old, and they almost just didn't believe in me. I suppose is wow. is, is is the right word to say, and yeah. um, that was obviously a little bit disheartening. You know, trying to go into a new industry and a new career path, and getting told no because 
I was 19. And at that age, when you look back at yourself, you think how young you were at that age still. Mm. Um, I don't know what they're expecting when someone goes in and asks for a job <laughs> and they want a job, you know. <laughs> and um, thankfully, the company Hob Salons, um, I think most people probably know who they are. You know, they're a big London brand and yeah. uh, they had really great training or have really great training. Mm-hmm. especially when I was there they were kind of at the top of the at the top of the game um they were winning all the awards you know artistic team of the year and hairdresser of the year and they were just doing really really well and that's kind of the time that I, I joined them so it was a really good can time can I ask you a question did, did yeah. the whole award or anything did that influence your decision we actually working with them I'm not going to lie to you but I didn't know anything about that until I actually started with them right so I joined them knowing that they were a bigger brand in terms of how many salons they had and they and and they had better training when I kind of originally looked at a few different brands, but I did had no idea because I had no idea about the hairdressing industry in the first place, that what they were achieving at the time and what it meant to them and the industry. Mm-hmm. So to be honest with you, I had no idea about that sort of stuff until I until like six months in when I kind of started learning about who actually works for them and what they were doing in the industry and stuff. And that's when I really started to find out about who Hob were after, mm. <laughs> after I got the job. Mm. so that was quite funny and mm. um yeah the first day that I turned up and I arrived at the salon my introduction was you know getting shown around all the back or sherry getting shown to the team and stuff and then the first call of duty that I got asked to do was they had a white marble floor and grouting in each of the marble um squares and, mm-hmm. I, and I spent about four hours on my knees with a toothbrush scrubbing the grout wow off, off the floor yeah so that was my first day into hairdressing yeah, yeah. Which was which was a bit of an experience, you know. <laughs> um, I was like, wow, you know. So I got I got about two years of this. This is this is nice. You know, I'm ni- I'm 19. I'm getting paid peanuts. And, uh, yeah, you're gra- is... you're scrubbing grout. Yeah, I'm scrubbing grout. So you know, when do I get to do the cool stuff? <laughs> yeah. it, it, it kind of re- it's kind of reminiscent to the whole kind of uh, Karate Kid wax or wax off type thing, you know. It, yeah, it's, it's a pointless so. exercise, but <laughs> somehow there's some learning in it. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe what not. what what they always told me was it build it builds your character, right? <laughs> oh right, okay. Well, there you go, man. <laughs> so uh, hopefully that that scrubbing grout has helped build me into the character that I am today. So that's yeah. what I look at it as. You know, I don't look at it as anything negative. But yeah, I spent I spent about two and a half years um, completing my apprenticeship um, and you know the in, the in house training that that Hob provide, which was notoriously pretty hard to complete. You know, the MVQ stuff was quite generally quite easy. Most people fly through that. But then when once you complete your MVQ, you have about a six month program where you spend in their Camden Academy where you where you spend about three, four days a week in, in, in there with the educators and you have to complete then the next stage of training mm. of of like Vardering kind of thing before you you're allowed on their shop floor as a hob you know, academy stylist. Mm-hmm. So that so that that was pretty difficult. I think I actually failed my first full test exam that I did with them. Right, um, which kind of hit me quite hard, to be honest. I was, mm-hmm. I was expecting to pass it because I was always very confident in training, and I was thought I was a bit of the Jack the Lad, and yeah. I, was, I was better than I was. That kind of attitude at, at that stage of my career, um, and then, yeah, once I failed that, I thought, damn, like if I fail again, then I might not even be able to be a stylist, and all of this will be a waste of time at the company that I was at. So, yeah, I just kind of knuckled down. I put my head down. I really focused on what I needed to do to pass the exam. And then I passed. And that was the end of my training at Hob. And then I became a stylist there, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed working in that environment. I enjoyed building my clientele up. 
and I started experimenting more on men's hair in terms of at home I was cutting a lot of my friends and I knew I wanted to focus more on that I just enjoyed it more I kind of had more of a connection with it I'm not sure why but um, yeah I I enjoyed it a lot more and that's when I started to look down the route of working at Men's London Fashion Week where Mm -hmm. I applied to go and do some shows with Fudge Hair who were doing the shows at that point Mm -hmm. and I think the first ever show that I did was for Craig Green under, mm-hmm. under the introduction of John Vial, and I'm pretty sure we spoke that you were there as well. Is that right? Yes, I will. Yep, I yeah. was there as well. So I was doing the exact same show. Bizarrely <laughs> enough, I didn't know you, but maybe you didn't know me, but we did the same show. We kind of like, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, there's like a team of what 10 to 15 stylists, and you're That's all right. manic and you don't really get to speak to each other anyway. No, but you don't. Something in the back of my mind remembers me seeing you there and you were working on that stuff as well. So that was cool. So that's kind of my first recollection of meeting you, I think, kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I started involving myself in one or two of them shows. And then I eventually won the Assistant of the Year Award as well, just as I was qualifying for really? the two years hard work that I did at, at Hob, out, out of the whole company. And that put me into the Young, the young Artistic GHD team the first year that it ever ran which was really exciting so I got to start traveling around the country with GHD as part of their young team and assisting their full art team and doing some private shows that they were doing and you know Salon International and all of that sort of stuff so I started kind of I started to really explore different avenues within the hair industry you know I started getting involved in fashion week started doing Salon International stage shows seminars like you know, mainly assistant at this point. I wasn't necessarily the main, you know, I wasn't the main guy on stage or mm-hmm. anything, but mm-hmm. it was a taste of it. And I started to, to see the other side of the industry other than just working in salon, mm-hmm. which personally really, really excited me a lot more so than the salon ever did. Um, what can I ask why yeah, that was? I don't know. I've always had big dreams and big aspirations and big goals. And I saw that as the creme de la creme of the industry for Mm. some reason Mm. it might you know people see things in different lights and for different reasons and for me personally that's what I saw it as Mm. so that's what I always aspired to Mm -hmm. I always looked up at the educators at Hub and I thought wow like one day I want to be either on stage or cutting hair and teaching people and inspiring people in some sort of way Mm. and that's really and that's really where it started from yep yep brilliant yeah and so after doing that for a, for a year, so I did that for a year before they kind of rechanged the art, you know, the art team because they they refresh it every year with new 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 people. After I did that, I kind of realised I kind of had a good um, a good scope of what I what I really enjoyed within hair because I'd been working in the salon within for about a year year and a half at this point. I'd done a year's worth of um, work with GHD and hair up and you know show work and then I'd done a bit of fashion week and also and and then on the side I was doing lots of men's stuff entering lots of men's competitions for assistants and things like that so after like two and a half years I I really had experienced kind of a lot already for what most people experience within their Mm -hmm. career I suppose Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I like to kind of just chuck myself in the deep end and just deal with it at the time rather than thinking too much about it i think if you think too much about something you almost um put yourself off of it because you mm-hmm. think of so many reasons why you can't or why you shouldn't do something rather than why you should and i've always had that attitude which is probably why i've kind of experienced and felt like i've achieved and done quite a lot already in my career maybe i don't know mm. so yeah at that point 
Um, I was about, what, three and a half to four years into my career. Um, I've been a stylist for a year and a half, so I'm coming up two years. And then I came across um, a guy called Josh Monica, who was also working at Hob Salons at the same time as me. And he was about to go and venture off and do his own thing and set up his own male hairdressing brand with a guy called Sam Palmer, who mm-hmm. was also at um, Sanriz, the company Sanriz. So they were both kind of um, a few years in front of me in, term- in terms of their career. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to just focus solely on men's hair. But at that point, as you know, there was quite a big divide within hairdressing and barbering or mm-hmm. where men could almost go and get a really nice haircut. Mm-hmm. And they kind of brought this con- concept up together where it was more of a salon environment, but it was based more on men's hairdressing in terms mm-hmm. of the service, in terms of the scissor skill that you get within the haircut, not just solely focused on like barbering and beards, which mm-hmm. is what you generally kind of get in bar- most barbershops about six, mm-hmm. seven years ago. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the concept started. And we, yeah, I jumped on board. I kind of left Hob knowing that I had done what I needed to do there. And I know I wanted to focus mostly in, um, you know, solely on men's hair. And I knew I had to go somewhere else to go and do that. I never necessarily thought I wanted to go and work at just um, more of your generic traditional barbershop. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I was all, always interested in working with more longer hair and more hairdressing techniques at the same time. I didn't want to just drop all that training out for nothing, if that makes sense. Of course, of course. But dude, you've been scrubbing grout, man. You've been on your hands and knees for this, man. So yeah. you weren't about to kind of give it up. I, I hear you. Yeah, so this kind of opportunity felt like it was going to give me everything that I wanted in terms of hair still. So yeah, it was, it was a bit of a risk at the time, I suppose, because men's was absolutely nothing. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't even a shop or a brand at, at the time. It was just everything, in, everything we were building up in secret. You know, we were doing a few small um, events where we were doing little pop-ups at little fashion events and things like that as, as, a, as a men's bar brand. And that was cool. So that was kind of like getting our name out there. Um, and then, yeah, we opened the first shop up in 2014, yeah, 2014, February. Uh, well, it was just myself, Josh and Sam, the, t- the two owners of the Salon brand. Um, and yeah, we, we just started building for a good year or so. We started building a team of a few more staff members, kind of started running a fully booked column. And then me and Josh started to venture into delivering classes. So where that started, the education there as well was shutting the shop down every Sunday or every other Sunday and just delivering one day classes on just like a fundamentals day, you know, an introduction into Menswire and a demonstration and kind of like a practical workshop. Kind of that's all it was to start yeah. with. And then we started getting interest from other barbershops around the UK. So we started going to deliver that same course um, for the one day workshops all over the UK where we're doing lots of time on the motorway and in the car, which was again, very unglamorous and pretty tiring to be honest with you, mm. but it was enjoyable. You know, we were on, we were on this new journey. We were on this hype and this buzz of, of starting something. And it was, it, it was really great. Mm. Then we started to get interest from like um, Scotland and Ireland. So we started to fly over to Ireland mm-hmm. every month, pretty much it was, you know, and at that point I was like, Oh my God, I've made it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I am, I am on an airplane. I'm getting paid to get on an airplane. Wow. And, I, and, and I'm traveling to another yeah. country where people speak differently. And I'm, and I'm about to go and teach someone. And, and, and I was just like, what, what is this? This is amazing. Like, I've made it kind of thing. It, yeah. Honestly, that's like the attitude that I had. It was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is amazing. I just couldn't believe it. I was so happy. So we started doing that for about a year or so. And then at that point, we started to outgrow the salon. 
and the brand started to grow and get bigger and obviously I started to get more experience in teaching and we started doing a few stage shows like we started to get invited to Salon International and Pro Hair Live to do mm-hmm. Menspire you know which was like never done before it was like our first time of representing that that company mm-hmm. so this so is that, about a year afterwards yeah so this is just like a year 15, in now yeah 16 yeah. yeah that's right yeah yeah and then we grew to a bigger salon, which was just up the road, where we had about six or seven staff members uh, cutting hair. And myself and Josh started traveling more to European places, so more like Italy and Spain we started reaching out to. And So you must have thought, like, so that now this is like, you must have, your head must have been blown because obviously Spain and <laughs> Italy, like, da-da-da. But I yeah. know you guys have been further field, but let's keep going. Keep the story going, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so... <laughs> Then now we started to get like translators and stuff involved in our courses, and I was like, yeah. "Whoa, like this is big time now." You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? This is this is crazy. This is this is taking it to the next level. And after like about a half a year or so of us being in the new academy, and about a year and a half of us being alive in terms of teaching education, we realised that we needed to step it up because, or we wanted to step it up because we were every everything was just blowing up and everything we were just outgrowing everything at that point so to be able to like teach like three four five day courses we needed a premises Mm -hmm. um so weirdly enough the place opposite our new salon became available because it was a it was a bike shop and uh everything started becoming online at that point and most people were just buying all their bike equipment and stuff you know from online stores so the need for like little independent shops like that kind of has slowly, slowly started to disappear on, on every high street, I think. Mm, and mm, um, mm. yeah, anyway, he disappeared. I think he went online and this unit became available and Josh just snapped it up, I suppose, and, and, and spoke to the landlord and said, look, we want to take it. Um, you know, we want to do an academy. We've got a shop just opposite. It was kind of a bit like the chance of it actually that happening was so surreal. It was yeah. weird. It was kind of felt right yeah so yeah we snapped that up turned it into an academy we started delivering longer courses we started delivering six month courses where it was once a month we started delivering one week courses and then all sorts of three-day international classes where people could come to our academy you know from all countries and be taught by us can i ask a question i'm gonna just interject it in slightly what was it about men's excuse me men's spire at the time that that the energy what was the energy like for people to kind of tap into that oh I want to be trained by you what do you think you guys put out there that allowed the industry to kind of uh, sit up and take notice yeah I think the the energy that we were creating even within the shop just working every day because at at this point I was still working three four days a week in the shop running a fully bullet column you know as well as educating two three days a week so I was up working like six, seven days a week, every single week, solidly for, for a good few years to kind of get it up and running. And the energy that we had within the shop that was flowing through what we were doing and was projected out into the haircuts that we were creating, which mm-hmm. we were sharing online through videos and photos. It was just like a, almost a bit like a bomb going off in the industry. It was, mm-hmm. it, it was this new wave of, of haircuts that were yeah. being created and things that people had never done before and seen before. And obviously this is when social media started blowing up as well. So in terms of timing, like I do truly believe that whatever decision you make, timing is everything because yeah. you can have a great idea, but if you do it too early, then no one might understand it. But if you do it too late, someone else might have already done it. So if you, mm. if you get your timing right for whatever you're looking to do within the industry, mm. it, it, it can make a huge impact on how effective and how much longevity you have within what you're doing. Fantastic. And 
yeah what we were doing what we were doing you know the the types of haircuts we were creating and the what we were showcasing like everyone just wanted to have a piece of it i suppose everyone wanted to learn from us everyone wanted to understand how we were creating these haircuts and the systems that we were using and that's it really because no one else was doing it no one else was even delivering education on that scale to in terms of the haircuts that we were doing so it just came hand in hand i think personally and, and the, it, you know energy doesn't lie does it no it doesn't so I, my thing is like i'm just thinking to myself so you kind of in terms of kind of working with the hairdressing skill and the barbering skill do you think that fusion was the underpinning success uh for men's bar yeah i definitely think again the timing was right for us in terms of fusion hairdressing and barbering together I think there was not a lot of barbershops that were like ours at the time. I think after we came about, if you look now, like most of the shops that are opening all look very modern in terms of lots of white walls, lots of green plants, lots of wood, lots of, you know, lots of like metal materials and Mm. lots of industrial. It's very industrial and it's been like that for a good few years now. Mm. Um, You know, kind of moving away from the traditional look. And I think Mm. That was always just everywhere and a, and, yeah. a, and, a, and, a, and a, you know, a moose on the, on the, on the chimney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a dead you know, moose. yeah. Hopefully a dead moose said on the chimney. <laughs> dead moose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I, I respect that, that side of barbering because it, that's where it started. And I, I love walking to shops that are done or old school and stuff. And that 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 stuff will never go because it's built into the tradition of barbering, you know. But there was always going to come a time in the modern era of hair and barbering that things moved along and new things came about. Mm. You know, you can imagine in two thousand and twenty five, two thousand and thirty, like ten years ago, that barbershops were still going to look the same. Yeah. yeah. But it was, but it was just how it was going to happen. Yeah. And I think not that we created that look, but we were definitely one of the first people to give that look to the salons at mm. the time. And mm. that's kind of what really pushed it out there, you know, and then social media, people can see what your shops look like. It's much easier and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. I, again, it was just timing. And yeah. we, I suppose men's bar went against the grain of what a traditional barbershop would look like and should look like. Yeah. And just infusion the hairdressing side of it into the shop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what the plan was always meant to be. Yeah. 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 And it's a great, it's a great philosophy and it, it resonates now. Um, I know you, you know, you can see like uh, the efforts that you've put in um, a lot of barbers are now switching their lane and developing skills uh, that require them to be kind of, um, you know, a bit more free flowing in their yeah. whole viewpoint of men's hair, which is really, really cool. Yeah. I think, I think especially for the first year or two or, or even now, like, a lot of the education is based on a lot of women hairdressers would come to us for more clipper skills mm-hmm. and you know more barbering um trained people would come to us for the scissor skills and understanding shape and mm-hmm. gen- and you know gen- gen- generally that's what it's always going to be mm-hmm. but once you get that training and you start um learning yourself you know that's when you want to start progressing on to other things but generally when you know with the, with the basics you get most barbers that want to learn scissor work and most hairdressers want to learn clipper work. And, that, and, and that's it. So building the profile of Menspire, yeah. um, tell me about the whole process for you guys. Because obviously you were there at the grassroots. 
and um and this is i mean podcast is really profile building and i know as uh, somebody who's been in the industry for a while that profile is key for messaging for philosophy for changing culture what, what do you think you know, the process of building a profile i know as you said you mentioned social media but of course that we talked about philosophy was there anything else that helped you to build the profile of minspire yeah i think having a strong team around you that all actually believe in the same thing and what you're trying to achieve is was really important for us mm. so not only the image that you've got as your brand which is what we've just discussed in terms of the salon and the type of haircuts that you're producing um you know and also using social media as a as a platform to help you get that out there and help you portray what you're trying to actually show but then also them two things are just the half of it you know you also need to actually believe in what you're doing because you can go and work for a company and if you don't actually enjoy what they're doing or what they're producing or believe in what they're doing then that will portray in your work and you won't actually feel that connected and people will be able to see that the type of work that you're doing is starting to drift or look different to where you actually work so people won't actually believe in what you're saying and what you're doing or what you're teaching if it's not irrelevant to the type of work that you that you're trying to portray mm. Mm. so you actually need to believe in and 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 have faith and ha- and and have the vision of what you're trying to put across to people mm. that that alone without even cutting any hair is very powerful mm. Mm. you know the haircuts come after that mm. Mm. then you then you then you back you you know you back your vision and you back your information up with the haircuts and with the work that you're doing mm. obviously you know um People, yeah, you you are now creative direct, um, sorry, international creative director for Menspa. Tell me about the travel and all of the places. I mean, of course, this is a time now things are starting yeah. to blow up for you. Um, people are looking at you enviously. They want to bite your right arm for doing all the travel you're doing. Tell me about the whole experience. Yeah, so obviously after like a, a year or so of, of having that new academy, things really did start blowing up uh, massively because we just started to get asked to go to all corners of the globe. So we, we, we started to do tours all around America, all around North America. We started to go to South America, Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, Chile, literally all of these places we covered all over North America, um, Canada. We started to go to Russia quite regularly. We started to do an educator program over there with a big brand. We went over to Australia um, four years in a row to do these big shows out there. And then obviously all over Europe. Europe was like our next door neighbor um, in terms of we were out there like every week or two, kind of just popping over there for a day or two, like Italy, Spain, (laughs) um, Poland, like just... Yeah, Europe. Europe's just easy to you know access, or it has been. You know, it might not be in the future, mm-hmm. but it it has been. It has <laughs> been. So yeah, we just started. Yeah, no, thanks I to know, Brexit. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, we just started to hit all corners of the globe and started to do really big stage shows, um, which getting requested to go all over. And then we started to deliver our like five day programs out in America and started to do everything that we were doing in the UK abroad as well, um, because our, our 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 team started to grow. So we had. Um, myself and Josh became full-time educators um, and I was, I was the, that, that's when I became international creative director when I, was, when I became full-time educator and I, I did that for about two and a half years and yeah we were just full-time traveling really and, and, then, mm. and then making sure that there was the courses being run smoothly in the UK as well if we were away 
you know, we'd have um, Sean or Janny or Glenn, the other educators who were part-time running the courses there if we were away. So we were kind of juggling like UK and international courses every single week, uh, 365 days of the year, as well as doing all our own admin and building all the courses and, and lectures and everything like that. We literally did everything ourselves. So it was like, it, mm. it was a lot, you know, it got to the point where I actually felt very burnt out after a year or so of doing that, you know, where I actually sat down mm. with Josh and, and stuff and <laughs> got quite emotional. You know, I think there was a few tears and I said like, this can't carry on. Like I'm, I'm done. Like my personal life started mm. to take a toll, you know, with, mm. with my relationships with my partner, I was barely seeing my family and it just wasn't a, like a sustainable way of working. It was, it was working almost too hard and not getting the balance right, which is really, really important when mm. you want to do traveling. You have to get the balance right. Otherwise, it mm. will start becoming unfulfilling and unenjoyable and you won't have any energy when you go to these places you, or you won't have the right energy going into these places because people are, mm-hmm. you know, like you can't like there was, there was a crazy sto- like there was a crazy period, like week, which just blew me off the Richter scale of like being tired. Tell me about that. Do you want me to tell you? What was it? Go on then. I'll yeah, go for it. So on the, I think it was the Friday night. Yeah. No, yeah. Okay. So we did, we had, we'd been doing a one week course previously from the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in the UK Academy. Then on the Friday night, we got invited down to the Alelon Education Centre in Holborn, where they did an open night where we were the guest artists to go and do some haircuts for a charity event. So we went and did that. That, that was like a 7 till 10 p.m. at night. And then that Saturday was Salon International. So, you know, it was that big hair weekend. So, so Salon International, mm-hmm. I, worked, I did stage work, Salon International, all, all day Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then on Sunday morning, <laughs> I ran a half marathon <laughs> with, uh, with my partner. And I actually, funny enough, I hadn't actually had any training for it because I had been away <sighs> traveling all year. And I hadn't, I, I, I think I did about two, two, two bits of training over the like the six months before it, two, two runs. Yeah, I, I don't know what was wrong with me. I thought, you know what? I used to be fit, so I can do this. This, this is it. I used to play a lot of football like 10 years ago. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah, anyway, so I did that. And you know what? We completed it. And we did it in like three hours, three and a half hours. I can't remember the exact time. Wow. Brilliant. That yeah. is phenomenal, man. No yeah, training. I know. Did so I just well did done. it. And, 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 and after that. Anyway, so it doesn't stop there. So after that, in the afternoon of the half marathon, I flew to South Korea which is a 12-hour flight. So straight off the back of a half marathon, I jumped on a plane for 12 and a half hours to South Korea. <laughs> and I can't tell you how bloody sore and seized up I was. It was the most unridiculous. Of course! And you're sitting in a chair just seizing. I mean, you're like, you could have walked well, after that. So, anyway, so we, we got to South Korea. I didn't know what day it was, what time it was. We landed at about 10 p.m. at night. We got, to, we got picked up from the airport, me, me, and, me and Josh. We got taken straight to the Juno Academy, which is a huge, big academy out there. They always host Sassoon and people like that, and they're a big, big hairdressing academy. So we got taken over, over there to their academy, shown round, and we did a model call, and there's about 30 models we had to pick about 10 from. That took about an hour and a half. So we're there about 12 o'clock at night um, picking these models. The next day we got up, we had the biggest show we've ever done in front of 3,000 people in South Korea. And wow. we prepped all morning from about 
eight a.m. <laughs> to about two p.m. backstage, um, mm-hmm. where we, where we prepped ten models, um, and then yeah, we did a we did a stage show. It was only it was only a small. We were only on stage for about half an hour, and then they did a catwalk. It was more of like a visual thing, which was lucky. I didn't have to stand on stage for hours talking, which would which would have been horrific because yeah. I couldn't walk because I couldn't walk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was kind of waddling, which was which, which was horrible. <laughs> So yeah, so then we so so we did that for the day. After that day, I was glad that was over. But it's you know I think what was carrying me through that day was the uh, was the excitement and the adrenaline of of doing it. And then the two days after that, we did two separate shows where we had four hundred guests in the Juno Academy, and me and Josh did alternative on stage. So we were on stage for about four hours each, um, sit, like individually in front of about four hundred guests. We did that for two days straight. And then the last day we did a workshop, a hands-on workshop with about 10 people. Um, and then I flew home the day after that. So it's actually about 10 days of that. Yeah. And it was, and I got home and I honestly have never felt so worn out and tired. Like I could have slept for a year. I was actually so, like, I, was so I was so emotionally drained, mate. It was, it was, it was horrible. Yeah. Really? But you know, at least I got that funny story to tell now and I'm alive. So. Well, this is it. I mean, you know, we all have funny stories. I, 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 the story that I have got where I, I cut for 24 <laughs> hours, but I'm going to tell somebody at another, another yeah. time, right? I had to prep for a fashion show, wow. 24-hour haircut. Anyway, That's so impressive. let's not go there. Anyway, you have these wonderful stories, and I think it's really, it's really great. But I really think, though, it's really getting yourself out there and showing that there is a complete different side of the industry. Because, like I said, you know most people will bite your right arm just by just doing half of what you're doing or in that yeah. particular time but obviously you realize that you know there is a toll that 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 has been taken for you know for putting yourself out there because being on demand like that it does it, you know it's just a yeah. lot of pressure now obviously you know like i said before tell me about the new direction because obviously things have changed for you and moving on now from Menspire I, I don't know if you're finished the story from Menspire are you still kind of in that story or do you want to talk about your new friendship? No, nah, right you know now? I can wrap up the Menspire thing um you know just by saying after after six years of 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 growing with that brand as a person professionally skill level you know I learned so much about myself and about my skill and about the trade made so many good friendships and networks that, you know, it was such a priceless time. And it's, it's, it's made me into the person, you know, professionally and, and individually with who I am now. But there comes a time where you need to understand what you're doing, how you're doing it, and are you being fulfilled in a certain way anymore? Like you said, there's a lot of people that would want to be in my position or do the job that I did, which, mm. which, which, which you're mm. right. But a lot of people don't didn't see the the struggles and the amount of time that I put into myself and into the company to get it to that point and get me to that point. Exactly. And yeah, that's a lot. Although they'll, they'll never, they might just yeah. dismiss it. So you go and do a stage show and they don't realize the hard work that goes into something, yeah. but people just turn up and, you know, make, you know, safe flippant things but yeah, yeah, yeah i completely yeah, understand know, it's not glamorous man like it's not yeah and there's so much sacrifice behind some of this stuff that people would never even mm. think about um but mm. but that's fine but they're the choices that i made and they're the choices that i wanted to make so i'm not complaining or wishing mm. anything different but it got to a point mm. after six years this january where i felt like i had achieved everything that i ever wanted to within that brand like literally like mm. I, I, there's not a lot else 
that I could think I'd done. Like even down to like we've done live with Hairbrained in LA and you know mm. lots of different opportunities that I maybe wouldn't have got if I wouldn't have been with them. Like I just feel like everything that I've wanted to conquer and do mm. that they're doing, I feel like I've done and. The type of work mm. that I was doing, I've been doing for many, many years there, and I needed to spread my wings and grow and start looking down other routes and avenues of an industry to start growing again in other ways. And that's, mm. that, that's what it was. Mm. It was, it, it was fulfillment in the work that I was doing and moving on to the next chapter, which I'm, as a person, I always like to change and adapt. Even like people like mm-hmm. even as such as simple things as like people that see me every few months, like I'll have a different hairstyle every single time, like for the last 10 years, just because not that I'm trying to. I just like to change my image. I like to move forward. I like to experience new things. And like I said, I felt like I'd got to the end of what I needed to do and achieve within the company. And I could have easily stayed comfortable for many, many years to come. Still done the same things. Um, still enjoyed myself. But it wasn't going to quite fulfill me inside, you know, internally. And that's what I had to look at. I had to think, like, do I take a risk at this point in my career every, after everything that I've built up and done with this company and, and, and everything? Or do I just stay comfortable and maybe in two, three years' time, maybe regret the decision and think, what if I did this then? That's the point wow. that I got to. And it was a hard decision, you know. Like, it was something that I thought about for about six months. That's a long time to think about something and, and, and decide, you know, mm-hmm. for a good six months, mm-hmm. I was thinking, should I, should I not, you know, before I, mm-hmm. you know, it, before I made the decision, you know, it was only like a month or two before I made the decision that I actually decided that that's okay, this is what I'm going to go and do. And then X, Y, and Z, how am I going to go and do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's why. And, and that's, a, that's the thing. That's the thing. I think people get really caught up in that comfort zone um and to take that risk and not being funny i mean like i said the place where you you are and to take that risk is is something really because you're just going against the grain but i think as a creative you have to take risks this is a part of the part and parcel of being a creative i believe you know you take risking your haircut so um you know you might do a section that you would normally do and you get a different result so i can see why you want to translate that into yeah man i'm a big believer of the bigger the risk the bigger the reward big believer of that and wow and that that doesn't mean to say that you should just go and risk everything like i'm you know i'm talking about calculated risks here you know something like 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 i said i i calculated that that risk for six months (laughs) like if that's not long enough for someone to calculate risk then i don't know what is you know i could have made that Mm. decision months earlier but i wouldn't have prepared Mm. myself um in the way that i did to leave so Mm. i wanted to make sure that i was set you know Mm. yeah yeah amazing amazing stuff like i said say some people just go for it but so tell me about your new venture now hair in motion what is the creative philosophy behind it and what are the main drivers that are driving this new venture that you're taking this new pathway this new road um into your kind of your yeah brilliant so the name itself hair in motion actually wasn't a new thing it was something that i've been calling my youtube channel for about three or four years now so people Mm. already know that name through my youtube and i've already seen it and i've already heard it so it's kind of relevant already and like people you know 
always message me being like, oh, when are you releasing something new on Hair Emotion? Like for years and years, I've been doing that now. So like it, it's already, that name is already linked with me in a certain way, which why I thought it was going to be a good idea to use it as my platform name because it's already, it's already recognized, if that makes sense. So, so mm, that's, it was kind of an easy thing to, to do. You know, I didn't really want to sit there and try and think of some weird, quirky name that I could come up with that sounded different to anyone else's or whatever. I just wanted to kind of make it relevant to me. And I, quite, I kind of like it anyway. You know, it's just easy. It's easy on the tongue. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's where the name came from originally. It was already, it was already in motion, no pun intended, on my YouTube. Um, <laughs> and then the kind of direction that I wanted to move in was more not like for the last six years, I've just been focusing on education where I've been just doing course after course after course after course you know teaching 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 giving a lot out to a lot of other people um, which has been great and which was something that I still want to do but also I want to start venturing more into the fashion and editorial world which is where I always saw myself when I started my career so I, like I said I've always done little bits and bobs where I've done some fashion weeks i've done i've, I've assisted um you know friends like jody taylor on, on shoots and things over the years and i've always had a taste for it and i've always thought like one day i would love to do more of this kind of stuff because it gets my creative mind tingling you know it, it it's a different mm. avenue again and i've always mm. been interested in it and it's always been one of them avenues that's quite difficult and hard to establish yourself in so I didn't, I didn't want to just like pick up and leave everything that I've done with education and just go into that because that's quite a risky move. And I might not, I might not make mm. enough money or decent money for quite a while. And I can't afford to do mm. that. So, and also I still like doing it some sort of, you know, some bits of education because that's what the industry generally knows me as for. So if I was mm-hmm. to just completely leave that aside, then I would be missing out on a huge market and also making, you know, money. So I still want to do, I'm still going to be doing private education and I'm still, and also I'm going to be venturing more into the fashion and editorial world where I'm going to start producing different types of work, which is what I'm extremely excited about. So the hair in motion isn't just going to be one specific thing. It's, it, it's a brand and a movement of hair where again, it's not going to be an academy. It's not going to be a shop. It's generally just going to be a movement where I can pick and choose what type of work I do, what days of the week. And it represents all of them things. So brilliant! I've got a little studio in Hackney, East London, where I can do little projects where I can shoot. I've got like a little shooting area where I can shoot um, people and models and, and things. I can do one-to-one education in there. And also I can, you know, if I needed to, I can do some private clients in there as well. Um, just whatever I want to do. Mm. It's just a creative space. Like I said, it's not a salon. It's not an academy. It's a space that I can use. That I've set up for any types of little projects that run under them categories so i can do so i've got that now which is really exciting obviously Mm. my international work won't stop that will be um you know when people want to request me to go and do some some one-to-one um small group stuff or big stage seminar stuff like i do already then i can go and do events and stuff internationally as well Mm -hmm. so i'm still going to do all that Mm. sort of bits and bobs but again i can pick and choose the stuff that i want to do now um which is great also, mm-hmm. I've um, introduced more of an educator training course as well within my curriculum, which, which is ne- something that we necessarily didn't have at, at Menspire, um, where people that want to either take, start taking the route of becoming an, an educator or doing stage work or 
even just training their own staff and knowing how to do it and putting more of a plan in place, I'm going to help people take that route where I've got lots of different categories of where, how, how I can help them in terms of social media training, you know, even like platform work, you know, how to address the crowd and stage presence skills, all of that sort of stuff. Um, even down to like taking them through the trends over the years and understanding trends and where they come from. And I've kind of designed lots of little cool lectures and courses to do with all that sort of stuff. So I want to be approachable to lots of different people in lots of different ways, but on a small scale. I'm not going to be setting out huge courses where I'm going to be having dates set like what the Academy did at the Menspire. So I'm kind of moving away from what they were doing and moving more into specific one-to-one tailored courses for people. So for example, if you approached me and you were like, Charlie, look, I want to do two days of training with you. I want to focus on some longer length hair. And also I want to do some stage presence skills then. Okay, cool. This is the amount that it's going to be. These are the dates that I can do. And I'm going to personally design you a two-day tailored course for the things that you want to cover. That's, that's exactly what it's mm-hmm. going to be. So I don't have any set yeah. courses. They're going to be specifically tailored for the individual that approached me, which I don't mm-hmm. think too many people are doing at the moment. It's almost a bit of a niche, I, I feel. Mm-hmm. So that's the yeah. route of education that I'm going to take, um, as well as juggling all the other bits and bobs that I'm going to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and so you want to be creating this kind of a new culture in terms of, um, you know, a, a, a new movement, keeping the whole hair in motion as fluid as possible. Just, just see how it goes at the moment. Is that kind of direction? Yeah, taking? I want to be flexible. I want to be fluid. But at the same time, the type mm. of work that I'm going to be pushing out there is going to be more editorial and fashion based rather than so much um haircuts that i've done on a course or haircuts that i'm doing privately that's the stuff that i want to mm-hmm. kind of keep the education based stuff is it is going to be pushed out there content wise in terms of on my instagram because i want people to know that i'm still doing it but the type of imagery that i'm pushing out is going to be slightly stepped up and slightly different and changed mm-hmm. and you'll start to see mm-hmm. that being pushed on my instagram um from now mm-hmm and i think that's really important i think most people um they want to do certain types of work and this is the kind of the thing that i do when to coaching people with their profiles is that they want to do some type of work but they're still putting that work which they're doing at the moment they're not future proofing right. or future telling the industry right oh this is the direction which i want to yeah. go to versus where i'm at now yeah. so a lot of people ex- are getting the same results because they're just putting out the same there we content. go you know i don't think you could have said that any better and and, and living proof of that is towards the end of my time at Menspire through December, January time, I actually didn't post anything on Instagram at all for over two months, complete solid. And that wasn't because... Can I ask a question? How did that feel? <laughs> Do you know what, mate? It felt amazing. No, it it does, felt so it? good. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I felt so good not being on my phone that much on Instagram. I, I actually yeah. like did so much other thing. I got so much else achieved. But... <laughs> don't get me wrong like instagram's great and it you know and it's a tool to promote yourself and 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 show the world what you're doing and stuff so you know i love it for that but at the same time you need mm-hmm. to know when to use it as a tool and how to use it to your to your use. to your best interest rather than just scrolling mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the reason why i didn't mm-hmm. post for two months was not because i was going quiet because i knew i was going to leave was because i personally didn't have any content that i felt represented the direction that i wanted to move in and I didn't mm. want to just post something for the sake of it. So I was doing lots of haircuts in the academy and stuff, but it was nothing that I thought it was going to help me 
portray the image that I wanted to start moving in and the direction I want to start moving in. So what's the point in posting it? At the, at the end of the day, I'm mm. posting for myself, not for anyone else to get gratification. Mm. And that's where people go wrong. They'll just post haircuts for the sake of it because they want to see their likes go up or because they want to get a few new followers. But is, is that actually mm. helping mm. you move in the direction that you want to move in? You need mm. to ask yourself mm. that question. Mm. Exactly, exactly. Because other people are looking at the person and saying, right, is this person going to be someone I want to work with? Uh, or the direction or the creative direction this person's taking, is it something I want to work with? And sometimes if they, again, not representing themselves properly, it's this disadvantage for yeah. them. So Instagram is a great thing, but also could be a negative thing because they're not portraying it the way they should. Exactly, some exactly that, exactly mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So Charlie, listen, I, I'm just, I, you know, this has been a great interview, really some loads of nuggets of um, um, little gems I'm trying to pick <laughs> out here. It's been great kind of mining your mind, which is fantastic. So tell me about um, just a couple of um, kind of drawing to a close now, but tell me about the whole idea of building a profile. Has a, a heightened profile for you been beneficial into the move forward, into the direction you're taking right now? Yeah. Has it been? Yeah, beneficial? yeah, yeah. Hugely, hugely. Um, you know, I was quite fortunate that I built my profile up whilst I was working under the entity of Menspire. But I did so, you know, I put a lot of hard work and effort into, the, in, in, into building up my own profile. I could have easily kind of stayed mm-hmm. under the umbrella of Menspire and just stayed comfortable and not really focused on myself. But I've always been one to want to showcase and want to share personally my 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 journey with people and my work because i feel like sharing is caring in in any aspect and you know you don't know who you're going to affect or who you're going to inspire just by posting one vid one video one picture or writing one caption and Mm. for me if i didn't build up the profile that i did over the years then i probably wouldn't be able to have been in such a great opportunity and position now going into my new venture so it, it it was a huge thing for me to to build up that profile and make sure that I have my you know my base of people that are following me and like what I do. Otherwise, I find it very difficult mm. to move on to my own thing now because everything's so saturated mm. now. Like if I didn't have my my unique profile that I have and the way that I do things, then I would then 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 then, then I wouldn't stand out. And if I don't stand mm. out, then what makes me attractive compared to the other hundred thousands of barbers doing what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Well, millions of barbers yeah, who go around yeah, the world. Yeah, global, yeah, exactly. We yeah. are the global market. Yeah, exactly, and that's obviously yeah. what what I'm looking. You know, that's that's what I'm in the global, not just the UK. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It was really important for me to to build that profile and and go through that really through that process. <laughs> so, if someone's building a profile now, what piece of information would you tell them right now? Um, uh, a little bit of kind of your philosophy, your knowledge on how to do, how to build their profile. Yeah. So first of all, to build your profile, I think you need to, first of all, the most important thing is understand what type of content and what type of work is representing you, which is obviously what we've already touched on as well. But that, that really is important. Mm. If, If you're trying to represent and portray a certain image or a type of work, then don't post lots of other things that are portraying something else. So really understand what it is you're trying to get out there, whether you're trying to sell a product or education or whether you're just trying to showcase work to get followers or whatever you're trying to do. But you need to really understand what it is your end goal is or what your goal is. You need to understand how you're going to do that. And for me, it was about posting consistent work, consistently good work 
out there. So every, especially when I was building my profile a lot, um, I was posting at least two, three times a week of relevant things, relevant haircuts, everything about my journey. You know, when Instagram stories came in, I was showing everyone where I was going, you know, the mm-hmm. traveling side of it. I was, I was building a whole, almost, a, you know, a profile, a brand, whatever you want to call it, about myself and about my personal journey, which is what people have followed me on for many, many years now. Which is why this transition has become easy because all them same people are now watching me do my own thing and they're support and, and they're mm-hmm. supportive of it and they want to be involved mm-hmm. and interested in it, which is great. So if I wouldn't mm-hmm. have done all that groundwork and posted all them stories and posted maybe pictures, a few pictures of myself and things of me educating and videos of haircuts and everything that I've done up until this moment in time, if I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm at now. So mm-hmm. the amount of effort that you put into profiling yourself and the amount of content that you push out there is the amount of energy and the amount of people that you'll get back watching what you're doing so the more the more that you put mm. in the more that you get out of the of this thing and that and that's how instagram and things work unfortunately <laughs> no one wants to spend 10 hours a day on instagram <laughs> but if you spend 10 hours a day on instagram networking and liking and commenting guess what when you wake up mm. in the morning you're going to have lots and lots and lots of um, interactions back on your page and probably more mm. followers mm. Mm. So yeah, obviously yeah. you need to um, evaluate how much time you're putting into that sort of stuff because that is not mm-hmm. the all end of all. But mm-hmm. you need to have a clear vision of what you want to do and what you want to portray. You need to understand that. You need to understand the market that you're trying to hit. You need to be putting out consistent content, content that you're trying to, um, you know, portray for, of yourself, not, 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 not just content. Because if it's the wrong content, mm-hmm. then you'll get the wrong eyes looking at your thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. So is there one, uh, let's say a last bit of nugget. Let's say, for instance, you, if I had, uh, I could ask you this. Um, um, what is the one piece of advice you can give somebody starting out in the, in the industry, first of all? And I don't know if your advice would be different for starting out or someone in the industry for a little while. But what one piece of advice you would give? If it's, if it's slightly different, you can actually put two there. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I've got, I've got one main one bit of advice that I, that I actually yeah. give every single person on many different podcasts that I've done and stuff. Because for me, yeah. it's what's made me successful over the years. And if I wasn't this word that I'm about to say, then I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in now either. And the, mm-hmm. the main word and the first word is be patient with yourself and be patient with your skill. Because if you're not patient and you think you want everything like now, 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 then you won't allow your time. Sorry, you won't allow yourself to have time to develop and you won't allow your skill set to develop and you'll make the wrong decisions because you're thinking of the now rather than the later. Yeah. So patience, you need to have patience for yourself to grow and your skill level and your decisions I, th- mm. I think I think there's actually a problem in our industry where too, too many people move around within barbershops, within opportunities, within companies because they're not patient enough. Yes, that's for me number yeah. one. Mm. Or they're not willing to take the time to go through no, the process. They will jump off to something else yeah. and not learn from the. Process. And if they would have stayed yeah. six months a year longer, they would be in a far better position than they would have been mm. if they would have just left. Mm-hmm. so yeah pa- pa- patience is the main one you need to have patience um and also you need to have belief you need to have belief in what you're doing because if you don't have belief in what you're doing then no one else is going to believe you brilliant charlie it's been a massive pleasure to kind of speak to you to kind of you know uh how can i put it mind the mind <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i get you 
open you up and let's go in that brain and just like have a little tinker and just uh, play a bit and get some nuggets out and um, and do that. But obviously, you know, um, really a massive uh, good luck to you and your new venture. And thank you again for spending the time to explain the process in the new direction you're taking. And I wish you all the success in the world. It's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for having me on the platform. And um, I'll speak to you very, very soon. Blessings. Thanks, thank mate. you.